Hey everybody, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's Friday and it's Fearless Friday, <laughs> isn't it? It's Fearless Friday. I'm sure you can, we can all agree that we have arrived at Friday. And I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say that Friday has come and I'm happy. <laughs> I am frankly happy. <laughs> And you might be saying, why, Harriet? And it's, it's frankly, it's because it's Friday. And who doesn't want a day off or a weekend or just sleeping in on a Saturday morning and just waking up and making a late breakfast? I just sounded like I drifted off dreaming. I actually was thinking about that, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I don't know how many of you practice intermittent fasting. I do. So after I have dinner, at night, I don't eat again. So if dinner takes place at 7 or 8 o'clock, I don't usually eat again until after 11 the next day. So I practice what is called inter intermittent fasting. And I've been doing that for years. I didn't have a name for it. It's just what worked for me. And uh, it, it worked for me in terms of diet, but it also worked for me in terms of energy. Sort of like I'm more energetic, more energized. If I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and I'm not, you know, slouching or so on and I don't have to eat early. So they call it intermittent fasting. I mean, <laughs> kind of late, but I guess that's what they call it. But for most of us, it is what it is, right? And so <laughs> here I am years later, now they have a name for it something I've been practicing most of my life, right? So who doesn't look forward to a Saturday morning when you can just chill and be chilled, right? Ah, such is the life. You know what I hope for? That someday I'll live by the water again and I'll be able to go for a sail on the water. Would you like that? I think I would, wouldn't you? I think I would. So it's Black History Month and we're wrapping it up uh, today being the 21st of February. If you can believe that, I don't know about you, but I think something is very wrong when it's the 21st day of February. Oh my gosh, it's like, are we in a rush? Are we rushing to go somewhere? It's just crazy how things happen, isn't it? Crazy. So it's Black History Month, so it's Friday. So in an effort to wrap up Black History, I thought I'd explore some concepts about six myths about black history. So for those of you who are joining me, you're going to enjoy this because there are some things that most of us didn't know or were not taught in a history class. We know that history is presented from the perspective of the winner. The winner writes history so it becomes his story. And especially here in America, history tends to be white-centered. It's centered around white experiences. Hence, you will find that history sometimes sounds like a patriotic fable. It sounds like somebody is trying to impress somebody else or convince somebody else how patriotic they were instead of writing it as it happened and writing the facts. So they've done us a disservice in not recording the actual events of the time. I think a lot of it had to do with racial disparities and racial context. I think a lot of people perhaps wanted to preserve history 
and leave others out of it so there would be no record. Maybe they thought that over time, the other peoples who made up America would disappear, would be obliterated, and so there would be no record of, of there having ever been native peoples, or there would be no record of there being Chinese indentured servants, or there would be no record of blacks. But one of the things you're going to find this morning in our discussion is that blacks contributed to the wealth of America. In fact, blacks were the wealth of America for a long time. And as you know by now, since 1871, the American economy has been the number one economy in the world. And by 1871, the American economy was built on the backs of Africans. Africans who were enslaved and who had been enslaved and who contributed with their bodies. Their bodies were the currency that made the black, the American economy great. So I wanted to talk about six myths about the history of black people in America. And it, it is in an effort for all of us, black, white, Hispanic, natives, and, and everyone else to understand what makes America great, why America is what it is, why America is great. I think it's time we drop the facade that only one group of people lived in America and only one group of people live in America. I think it is ludicrous to think that. And now with the history and the evidence that we are seeing, we now know that that was never true and isn't true. And so it's time for us, whether you like it or not, time is marching on. And whether we want to embrace it or not, it is what it is. And the record speaks for itself. I think it's time now for us to recognize the contributions of everyone who made America great, who contributed to what, what we call or what constitutes America. The fabric of our society is rich in the tapestry of human contributions. We are a nation, we, are, we have suffered. We are a nation of broken people of strong-willed people, of people who were determined to create a livelihood independent of their colonial masters. That's something to be proud of. But we must recognize and incorporate into that that it was not just whites who did that, that blacks were an integral part of that. And it's time to drop the racial foolishness because that's what it is. It's ridiculous, it's ludicrous, and it is denying you of the what makes your country great. It's denying you of how rich the tapestry of the country is by trying to say and deny a historical fact. Because by now, whether you like it or not, you must admit, even if your grandparents didn't tell you, even if great, great uncle Dan didn't tell you, by now you must admit that black people were brought here by whites from Africa and were enslaved. So they are the reason why the country is great. They're the reason why from 1871 to now, the American economy is the number one economy in the world. So I wanna give you six myths about the history of black people in America. And this, these were written by scholars from various universities throughout the country who have studied the history. Here's the thing. Sometimes what we thought was history was one side of the story presented by one group of people. But there were other people who were writing the story as well. We just never read that part of it because it was hidden. Because the people who were in control wanted to present just one side of the story. 
So these scholars who happen to be scholars of American history, who are scholars, not happen to be, they are scholars of American history, have the evidence and have found the evidence, have done the research, collected the data, seen the data, studied the data, and have prepared it for our pleasure and for our reading. I would like to think it's for posterity so that the next generation, as they are raised up, can feel some sense of identity in what is America. Don't feel as if they don't belong or this is not their land or this is not somewhere that they belong in, but that this too is part of their history. American history is white. American history is black. American history is native. American history is made up of Chinese indentured servants who came here to work as indentured servants in the gold industry of the 1800s in California. That is rich and that is American history. And it's time for us to lay down the racial disparities because it's nothing but foolishness because it denies this one obvious fact that all out of many, we are one. So unless you don't want unity, unless unity is not your desired goal, but if unity is what you preach and unity is what you think, then out of many, we really are one. So I want to give you six myths about the history of black people in America. It is Black History Month. And some of these are truths, some of these are facts that you may already know, and some of these are stuff, are, are ideas that you may not have looked at from this perspective, but here we go. So I'm putting my reading glasses on because I'm, I gotta read this to you. Myth number one, enslaved people didn't have money. It is a popular myth, it's a popular ideology that is dispersed that black people in America never had money. That's not true. Let's look at it this way. A black person in the 1700s and the 1800s, that black body represented money to a planter. That black body meant that that planter had free labor and that planter could trade in that body to another planter and get money in return. So black people were money. But separate, in addition to that, black people also worked. And black people also made their own money. Black women in particular contributed to the commerce of the South. Here's how. They took the goods to markets. You've heard of markets. Well, you think it was white women sitting in those markets selling produce? It was black women. Some black women organized and they took the fruits and veggies from the countryside, especially in Virginia and Georgia, right? And the Carolinas and took it to the, to the markets in the major cities. They then had to create a union to save the money, to disperse the money. Of course, what happened was they were persecuted, so they had to find creative ways to save and hide their money. But black people did have money. Some black people bought their freedom with money. So let's just be clear that black bodies were the capital that fueled the country's wealth, right? There was one black woman in particular, Elizabeth Keckley, who started the Mutual Aid Society. Anybody remember Mutual Life, Mutual Aid, Mutual? That's where it all came from. They formed these informal groups in an effort to legalize, to create their own banking institutions. That was the beginning of that. So black people did have money. 
They were enslaved. And it is, it, it is important to note that black people were enslaved. They didn't volunteer into this thing. They were enslaved, right? So that's myth number one, that black people didn't have money. That was not true. Number two, black revolutionary soldiers were patriots. Seriously? You really think that black people were just standing there saying, Hey, massa, and fighting along with the white men against Britain? That's not true. Black people were fighting for their own freedom. They were going to join whichever army that was going to give them freedom. Let's just put this into perspective. Black white men at the time were planters and farmers. They could only work in the Revolutionary Army for three or four months. Do you know who was available to work for 12 months in the Revolutionary Army? Guess. Black. Black men. They were the enslaved. They were not patriots. They were not fighting for freedom from Britain. They were fighting for freedom for themselves. So when you hear white historians tell you that they were black patriots in an effort to say, well, black people loved America so much and loved their oppressors, that's not true. They were fighting for their own freedom. These are just myths that have existed over time. And I'm going to post the link to the story because everyone needs to read this and everyone needs to know this. These are stories, these are just fables. That's what they are. It's not true, right? Black men were the exchange. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Let's just put it this way. A quarter of the Continental Army were black men. And they were consistent because they were enslaved and they didn't have farms to go back to because white men could only be... See, when we read history, we read it blindly and we don't think. We just accept the words written on the pages of a book and you look at the author, the face is white, you say, well, it's authentic. But there are other stories to history. That's just one person's version of it. And you have to question their authenticity and their intent when they were writing it. Did they impart the truth or did they impart a colored version of it that suited their own ends? They were in fact writing for posterity to change people's minds and impact people's lives two, three, four hundred years later. And their version of events was largely incorrect because there were other people who were writing it. We're just now reading what other people have written. Because for so long, we were given one version of the events that happened. And that this was the only way it happened. This was all that happened. Nothing else happened. And this was their version. So we were told that black soldiers in the army were just patriots who believed in what Washington believed in. No, they were fighting for their own freedom. They thought if America became liberated from Great Britain, that meant they as enslaved people would be liberated too. They were not fighting for the liberation of whites from Great Britain. They believed that they would be free as well. As it turns out, that didn't happen. Didn't happen, right? Myth number three, that 600 black men were injected with syphilis at the Tuskegee Institute in Macon County, Alabama. That's not true. We know about medical racism. We've been talking about it here on Down to Earth for many times now and shown examples of it, but this is not what happened. 
in the, in the Tuskegee experiment, 399 black men did indeed have syphilis and another 201 didn't. So over a 40 year period, they studied what happened if they were not treated. What nobody knew at the time was these people were married and having children. So some of them infected their wives and some of them had children who were born with syphilis. That's why it became such a big scandal when the story broke out in 1972. But they were not given syphilis as an experiment. As a matter of fact, out of that came certain reparations within the, the, the Department of Health and Human Services about how clinical trials are conducted. They really were just conducting a clinical trial. But 600 black men were not infected with syphilis, which later caused the stereotype that black men, in fact, tend to have sexually transmitted disease. That's not true. That is all part of what we call medical racism, where stereotypes are attached to people just because of misinformation. And in this case, that's what this was, misinformation, right? That's myth number three. It's getting interesting in here, isn't it? I had to make notes for this because this was too important for me to miss the fact, because these are historical facts. And so far, what we have seen as historical facts have changed based on the person and the person's mindset the person's perspective and their biases and prejudices that have changed the way they have written the course of history and what they have done is transformed history. So now everybody is confused because you take that version of, event, of events to believe that that is all the truth that exists when in fact it wasn't even true. There were other people who were writing a true record of it. If you really think that at the time there were not black people who were free, that there weren't black people who advocated for freedom, who fought for their own freedom, if you really thought the image that they want you to think of is that black people were so docile and so meek that the only way they could be kept intact was to have a gun, hence the Klan's movement, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, right? I once reached out to them to have them on my show and they said they were constrained, they couldn't do that. But they did direct me to a Ku Klux Klan uh, group here in Fraser, Michigan. I was shocked beyond my wildest dreams, but it is what it is. So the Ku Klux Klan was the unofficial army of Jim Crow. And the, what they want us to recollect and put into perspective and pictorialize is that black people were so docile that you could keep them intact. That was not true. Black people have always been fighting for their freedom. They were just constrained by racism, right? They appealed to the good, the greater good of, of the community. And the community was like, hell no, you ain't going to be free. You're going to work for me for the rest of your life and your generations after you. And I'm going to keep you under the gun to ensure that you stay that way. That's history, right? Uh, so that's myth number three, that black people were in fact, <laughs> that's not true. Myth number four, that black people in early Jim Crow didn't fight back. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not true. Black people did fight back. Marcus Garvey in Harlem said, said this, that black folks would never gain freedom by praying for it. I want to direct your attention to something that happened in 1919 called Red Summer. Red Summer, where, where, where it happened when whites across the country attacked blacks in cities. That was Red Summer. Whites across the country attacked blacks. They want us to believe that blacks didn't fight back. Well, black people started the NWACP. You've, read it, you've heard of that. 
Well, there were other black people who felt that that approach would take too long for the meaningful change that was needed. So there were black abolitionists and black revolutionaries who did fight back. They were killed. History does not record them because of course, history being written with a tainted view wants you not to continue thinking that blacks are docile and submissive. Then when it suits them, they say that black men are violent. No, seems to me that my white brothers are more violent. I mean, Christopher Columbus came over here with a lot of guns and gunpowder, didn't he? And started shooting the place up. How the, how the West was won was with guns. So if you're going to talk about who is the more, most violent, and all you guys are looking at me with a sly smile, like, hey, Harry, come on over, let me show you my collection. Right? Isn't that the truth? I ain't hearing you at all. I am not hearing you. It is the truth. And sometimes the truth makes us uncomfortable. So you're hiding behind the anonymity of the internet because you really don't want me to know or anyone to know. But you do know that. And you're silently nodding your head that, yeah, that's a way of enforcing my beliefs and what I want. Yeah, it is. But to say that black people didn't fight back is not true because they did fight back. In fact, you've all heard of the sheriff down in Lake County, Florida, who ruled for almost 30 years. He was tall. His last name was Lee. They might even have a statue directed to him. He was one of the most violent persons, violent figures of the Jim Crow era, right? And he enforced violence on blacks, especially blacks who were trying to run away from the South and blacks who were trying to gain their freedom by just going to the north to work. People had to create ways to hide, to get out of the south because they wouldn't let them leave. And people fought, black people fought back and lost their lives. Black people did things. That part of history, American history, is largely contained because the feeling was that if you let everybody know that this happened, then young blacks today would rise up. This is what also contributes to the prison industrial complex. Keep them massed, incarcerated. People like Hillary Clinton, who referred to black men as, uh, as super predators, and she thought she was doing something, and she didn't re realize that it was still the digital age. So there is a record of that. That's why she lost the election. She didn't just lose the election because Russia interfered in it. She lost the election because black people were like, hey, no, you called, you are responsible for mass, she and her husband. Hillary and Bill are responsible for mass incarceration of black men. She said that they are super predators. I don't know what young black men had sex with her or someone she knew or whatever. I don't know. But that's what she said. She's responsible for mass incarceration where for the least infraction, the least infraction, black men were, young black men were locked up and incarcerated at a rate eight times more than whites. She's responsible for that. And I dare say it cost her dearly for her dream of becoming the first female president of the US. She was not going to get it because black voters remembered that. And when it came time to vote, they voted for the other, for the guy. The guy who now sits in the White House. They were like, ah, oh, no. 
because they remembered. The blood does not lie, Hillary, and the facts speak for themselves, right? Black people did fight back and continue to fight back today. Today, they employ different means. They're not standing in the streets with guns and, and weapons. They're writing letters. They're advocates. They're rewriting history, the correct version of history. They're teachers. They advocate for criminal justice reform. Right here in Detroit, right now, just yesterday, the story broke that a black man was sent to prison for 27 years. He was 18 for a crime he did not commit. There was no physical evidence, no physical evidence and no eyewitnesses to say that he was responsible for the deaths. But because of the large prejudice that exists, that if he's a black man, he's violent. So when it suits people, they say that black people are violent and they want to present this image of the violent, savage black man and the violent, savage black person, the angry black woman. And then when they write history, they want to say that, no, they didn't fight back, so it couldn't have been bad. If it were bad, wouldn't people fight back? No, if they didn't fight back, that means they enjoyed it. They enjoyed being enslaved. They enjoyed being a slave because they're fighting their own conscience. Do you see what I'm saying? Black people did fight back. They're fighting back right now as judges, as prosecutors, as criminal justice reformers. They're fighting back as legislators. They're fighting back as historians. They're fighting back as educators and professors. But they are fighting back. Make no mistake about it. They are fighting back. And yes, you're going to have some offshoots. You're going to have some people who still straddle the line. They'll always be there. But they're not the ones you pay attention to. Pay attention to the ones who are not bending who are not yielding because the history has to be written. And they're saying that I have a place here because my ancestors paid the price to be here. So to say that is, a, is an untruth, right? That's myth, that's myth number four. Do I still have time? I still have some time, right? Uh, here's a big one. Number five. Number five. I still have time. Crack in the ghetto is the largest drug crisis of the 1980s. That's not true. Uh, I have a caller. Let me take this caller. Hi, caller number one. How are you doing? Welcome. Hello? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm fine. How's it going? Uh, everything is going good. Everything is going real, real good. All right. We're talking about six minutes about black history in America. So far, what have you heard? What ha What's your contribution to this discussion? Well, my contribution to this discussion, I'm not sure. I know this is Black History Month. Uh-huh. Um, but our black history, you know, when, when, when we look at, uh, when I look at the very thing that makes me black, uh, is the fact that I'm African, right? And I'm, 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 I'm tied into an African lineage. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't only struggle in which black African folks have been seeing here in America. Right. That speaks to, you know, their their path coming to America. You uh -huh. understand? So we're talking about the transatlantic slave trade. We're talking about the Mahafa. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 
several different things that, you know, came before the degradation of this human life. You understand? So it wasn't that we just start getting on here and that Europeans start killing us here. This had been something that was actually going on in Africa. Um, okay. And not to let ourselves off the hook because we had some black people that were working in cahoots with your, your Europeans. Uh-huh. Uh, you had the Dutch. You had all types of people that came over to the continent of Africa, mm-hmm. and they saw the they saw the incentive of actually robbing this land from its people, taking a group of people and actually putting them to work, right? Uh, in, a, in 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 violent conditions. So, right. Um, I think that um, a, a lot of times, and, and it's getting to a place where people are looking at that as a myth. Right. There are other conversations where black folks are talking about, well, hey, I came from the, the I came from the moon, or I came. This is how I got to America. But if you were black in America, uh, I'm going to assume 300 years ago, this this place didn't favor you. Right. You understand? Uh-huh. So I think you know that's a naivety that that sometimes I'm seeing within our people thinking that this place loved us, thinking that America was truly our home. It's right. basically been our prison. And mm. we're still looking for our payout. We're looking for reparations and things of that nature. So that's wow. just a, a, a tangent. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, uh, what I have in the discussion. Too. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, so what we're, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting discussion, really, about the origin of, of, of black people. And the caller is saying that this didn't just start here in America. It started before blacks arrived in America. And it is, a, it is part of the contribution to the discussion. And I thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. So in continuing it, uh, we're talking about the crack epidemic of the 1980s, that that was the largest drug crisis. We all know that's not true. By now, we know, we have know of the opioid crisis. Right when the crack epidemic was going on, it was treated from a law enforcement point of view. Lock up these people who are smoking crack. It didn't see the people who were doing crack as victims. It saw them as criminals. So they were criminalized for being a drug addict. Fast forward to the opioid crisis. The opioid crisis, the end user, the people who actually took the drugs, the kids and the white people who took the drugs, they're not criminalized. They're treated as victims. They're treated as with remedy. There are remedies that the society needs to apply to them. So see this big myth that the crack, what crack was what is the biggest drug crisis and all black people smoke crack? That's not true. Let me give you some facts. Uh, you gotta see that crack kind of came into the ghetto <laughs> And it started the prison industrial complex. Remember we talked about Hillary Clinton and the super predator myth and mass incarceration. Well, the prison industrial complex had started from right with Jim Crow. And Parchment Prison in Mississippi being the first example. So the idea was lock black people up so you can still get them to work on the plantations. That myth, that hasn't, that ideology has not gone away. That is an ideology that persists today. That has not gone away. It has led to the prison in what we now refer to as the prison industrial complex, where black people for the least infraction, for misdemeanors are locked up, criminalized, given long prison sentences. 
so that their labor, their black bodies are still utilized in prison by industrialists, by industrial corporations who make money off black labor in prison. Hello, today, today, it is still real, right? The prison industrial complex. So the crack epidemic happened, but the victims, the addicts were not treated as victims. They were criminalized and locked up when they were in fact victims. The opioid crisis that we're facing now, guess who is... Who do you think was pushing crack, was selling crack? White distributors. But it was presented like it was black selling black crack to blacks. Well, where did the black man get it from? That's always a question I ask. Just recently, I was in a, in a setting uh, with, 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 with law enforcement, and I asked the same question. I said, why do we continue to focus on the black guy as the distributor without looking at where is he getting his supply from? I said, who do you think he's getting his supply from? And nobody, you know, everybody was just like, okay. It's not that they don't know, but it, it's criminalized. It, it, it's typified that this is it. That the only people who push it are blacks. Look at the opioid crisis. The people who push the opioid crisis, the Sackler family, they didn't get prison time. But the black man who sells the dope, he gets 40, 50 years in prison. The Sackler family didn't get jack. In fact, they were found to be moving their money out of the country so they could still have money. The Sackler family caused the opioid crisis and made billions off of it. They didn't get any criminal time. Johnson & Johnson also contributed to, to, the, to, to, to the opioid crisis. They paid a $109 million fine and walked away. They paid a $109 million fine and walked away. Like nothing happened, y'all. Are you listening? <laughs> right? And they were the distributors and the dealers, Johnson and Johnson, and the Sackler family. They didn't do anything. But the black guy on the street corner is given 40, 50 years, caught up in the prison industrial complex, and is referred to by people like Hillary as as, as super predator. <laughs> Right? Listen to this. A 1991 study by the National Institute of Drug Abuse found that whites were eight times more likely, were, had eight times more the rate of cocaine addiction. Because hand in hand with a crack epidemic that took place in the ghetto was the cocaine addiction that was taking place in white suburbs and college, white college campuses across the country. But white folks didn't get criminalized and they didn't go to jail for using cocaine or distributing cocaine. But black people were criminalized and sentenced with huge fines. Do you see what I'm saying? So at the same time, in fact, in this 1991 study that whites were eight times more likely to report drug abuse in 1991 study, in a 1991 study, but they were not criminalized. They didn't go to jail. It wasn't even reported as a national problem until Ronald Reagan said, uh, we're declaring a war on drugs. By this time, it was an epidemic. Cocaine addiction in the suburbs, in white suburbs and college campuses where you had people used to roll up a $100 bill 
to snort cocaine. And having cocaine on yachts was a lifestyle and sniffing cocaine and, and sipping uh, mimosas and champagne was considered a lifestyle. That was, that was truth. That is truth. But you don't hear about it because it's not something white people want to project about their society. Here comes the opioid addiction years later. The opioid addiction has come and what has happened to it? Nothing. Not a darn thing. The Sackler family still walked away. Johnson & Johnson paid a fine and walked away. But the people who used the opioids were not criminalized. They were treated as victims, as they should be. But blacks in the 1980s were, were criminalized and sent to jail. How many black people have sat in jail because they use crack? And white boys and girls didn't go to jail for using cocaine at the same time. Wow, think about that. And the sixth myth, I gotta go, I have like less than five minutes. The sixth myth about black the history of black people in America is that black people were enslaved until emancipation. Now, that's not true. There were free black people. There were free black people. There were free black people. What happens is that by the time the Emancipation Proclamation happened, it happened because people were already trying to free themselves. They were trying to free themselves before they even got here. The journey through the Middle Passage, the, Atlanta, the, 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 the Atlantic Ocean is the burial ground that proved how many black people were trying to free themselves. They jumped off the ship, not because they didn't love their masters and their enslavers. They just didn't want to be a part of slavery. Black people have been fighting back. There was mutiny on the bounty. Black people have been burning plantations and fighting back. Black people were free and could buy their freedom if they had enough money. By the time emancipation came, black people had enough money to move from the south to the north. They had saved up the money that they had made so they could buy their freedom. There's a guy named Richard Allen who started the African Methodist Episcopal, Episcopal Church. He was free. He started it. He and others co-founded the AME Church because he could buy his, because he was free. He bought his freedom. The Emancipation Proclamation, by the time it came in 1863, there were blacks. There were blacks who lived in black and biracial communities in Virginia and Ohio and some places and Charleston. So these had happened. So that's a myth that all black people were enslaved. Black people had left the South and moved to the North and had bought their freedom. They owned facilities and factories. Yes, there were laws that served to contain their growth but they still functioned within even those laws and helped to create the movement that would make or set freedom on its ear and turn the South and Jim Crow upside down until all people are free. Isn't that what the, the Constitution says? That all men, we are granted these inalienable rights, that all men are created equal. All men, seriously? Black, white, yellow, red men. All men, black, white, yellow, red women, all women and men are created equal. It's time to let freedom ring. It's time for us 
to recognize that this is our history, violent though it was, bloody though it was, right? But this is our history and it's time for white America to accept the contribution that black Americans made to the greatness of this nation. We all are partakers of it because we all, we worked. It was on the backs of blacks in the South and in slavery that made this nation great. America has been great since 1871 because black bodies worked and black bodies were the bodies and the currency that was counted to make this country the greatest nation on the face of the earth for since 1871. Come on, y'all. It's time for this to be rested, accepted, written in the annals of history. So people who function with a white supremacy ideology, you need to back up because you don't even have a clue what you're dealing with because that is not true. Your ideology is based on a fallacy that never existed, but that was permeated through violence. Because the real truth is black people have been here. Black people fought black people made the money that so you could go buy more guns black people made the money so you could have plantations in the south and you could wear gowns and your white women could go get their hair done and travel to europe and pretend to be aristocrats the lineage that you claim that my ancestors have lived on this land since 1871 was created by blacks share the wealth it's time And if you don't choose to share the wealth, you accept the truth. Because each time you look at a black body, you need to remember that they helped to make this nation great. Change your thinking. It's Black History Month. But every day is black history. As far as I'm concerned, every day is black history. And the violence that is being used to contain people has got to stop. Just think about it. I mean, right along with the crack epidemic was the cocaine addiction in white in, in, in white suburbs and colleges across the country. I mean, who forgot stuff like that? People used to roll up a hundred dollar bill to snort cocaine. And you didn't have a, a drug problem? The opioid crisis is not new. They just switched drugs out. Here in Michigan, we have something called the vaping crisis. It seems to me like white, young white people just love to have, they don't have anything else to do because they don't have to fight for nothing. Everything has been given to them. So they don't have to fight for nothing. Their their minds are not consumed with creating a better tomorrow. So they are drugging themselves out to death. So now we have an opioid crisis along with a vaping crisis. We thought that smoking was gone. No, no, they're they're finding different ways. I'm like, go pick up a sport. Would you kick some ball or something? Go work that angst out. Go find a cause. Go use your intellect. If we're not careful, we could lose another whole generation of people. And America has been so blinded by our prejudices and biases, we don't even see where this is going. Because you've lost a whole generation to an opioid crisis and to vaping. And you've also lost a group of black people to mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex. So who is going to be here to inherit the wealth and what everybody else who who is now gone has worked for? Who is going to be here? Your white kids have so many issues. They don't want to work. They're just like everybody else. They don't want to work. 
They don't want to create or do anything. They want to be YouTube influencers. They don't want to go to school and stay in school to study to be a lawyer, a pharmacist, a doctor. They don't want to be a scientist. They don't want to be an engineer. They barely make it through college. They get a degree in the freaking humanities. What the heck is that? If I had a kid come home from college telling me about they got a degree in the humanities, man, you're not gonna, first of all, it ain't going to happen on my dime. I ain't paying for that. Right? They don't work. They don't want to do anything. Mom and dad have it already. And they continually smoke and drink like a fish. Like there is no tomorrow. And you wonder why we have so many problems. Dying too early from deaths of despair because we have a drug problem. We have an alcohol problem. People can't have children, have fertility issues. Start having sex way too early. Having abortions way too early. Or as they like to call it, the morning after. So it, it, when you look at it, <laughs> America did itself a disservice because you locked up black people and it mass incarcerated them. And then on the other hand, your kids are like, I don't care. I'm living my life. Keep on vaping, keep on snorting. And now they just take pills to feel high. They crush pills with, with, with all kinds of over-the-counter medications. You and I can't even go to the pharmacy and buy an over-the-counter drug for a cold or for, any, or for a cough because they take all the stuff out so that their own kids, so that white kids would not use it to drug themselves. But they create, they're still fantastic at creating this stuff. They have Molly and all kinds of stuff where they mix drugs together to get a high. Yes, you, white mother and father, go look into your kid's cell phone and see what they're doing. Go take a look on their social media pages and see what they're concocting. You'd be surprised. They don't want to go to college. I sat in a, meet, in, in a seminar with the Department of Energy who is saying that they can't find kids, Americans who want to study to be an engineer. And it's not just in the Department of Energy. It's right across the board. They don't want to be scientists. They don't want to do that. And at the same darn time, the other group of people who could have helped for generations, you cut them off, lock them up in prison, beat them up, shoot them in the streets like they're nobody. And now who is going to inherit the wealth? Who is going to do it? They're so drugged out, doped up. Their bodies are destroyed. They're vaping themselves to death. Who's going to inherit the wealth? Blinded by prejudices and biases. We cut our noses off and now we, have, we spied our faces. We have a whole generation of people so addicted to drugs. They can't function at work. Where was the, have you guys been walking around courtrooms? You realize that the judges are aging, the prosecutors are aging, and the lawyers are aging when they're white. That's what you're noticing. No young white people, they don't want to spend seven years in college to study nothing. You go to, to, to places where they need engineers. Look at the engineers who are there. They don't want to do it. You don't see many black faces because most of them had to be, they were in jail and generational poverty made it impossible and laws with biases and prejudice prevented them from accessing money so that they could go to college for generations. So you don't see as many black faces in those spaces either. You're going to medicine. When's the last time you saw a white doctor? Tell me. When was the last time you saw a white anesthesiologist, a white neurologist, a white radiologist? 
tell me. Your OBGYN, your urologist, tell me. Don't want to study. Don't want to wait. That's a waste of time. It takes too long. And the prejudices and biases, you're still trying to keep people who are black out of these spaces. Your biases and your prejudices blinded you to the realities that are in front of you. Talking about Black History Month is interesting, isn't it? Black history is American history. Black history in America is American history. This is a great nation, but it was built by all of us who put our shoulders together and we worked, enslaved though some of us were. It's time for that acknowledgement to take place. My name is Harriet Kamek. This has been Down to Earth. I hope you have a great weekend. It's still February, it's still Black History Month, still participate in the activities that celebrate history. I think next month is Hispanic Heritage Month. There we go again. It's time. It's time, right? All right, see you soon. Be blessed, everybody. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. Mm-hmm.